0: We're back. we back. weren't back yet. All right, now we're back. Hey, everybody! It's me, DJ Crystal Clear, with episode number twenty-three of Original Versus Cover. Yeah, oh, and shit. Uh, I'm here in the world famous As It Should Be Studios in Crookland, New York, with its owner, and
1: uh, I'm looking for another word. <laughs> owner. Do you, do you rent pair? Proprietor, that's proprietor, it. Yes. Proprietor, Sole <laughs> proprietor. That's spelled S-O-U-L.
0: S-O-U-L proprietor. Oh, that's good. Soul. S-O-U-L proprietor. Dr. Paul Bertolino. How's it going, Paul? Oh, well, shit. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> yeah, so the last episode was very uh, chock full of things.
1: <laughs> Music and talking.
0: <laughs> Lots of talking. Yeah. Uh, and this one probably won't be as wordy. Well, maybe. But whatever. You love it.
1: It won't be as wordy. It'll be more quirky.
0: More, Because <laughs> yeah.
1: there was a bit of typing involved.
0: Yes, exactly. And, again, I will apologize to Paul ahead of time because there are some things in here that he won't like. So, please send him. No, actually, this one's better for you. Alright, so the first episode is Tonight's the Night.
1: Is it going to be alright?
0: It's going to be alright,
1: honey. Okay
0: because i love you and ain't nobody gonna stop us now. It's uh the original is done by Rod Stewart from his 1976 album Out on the Town. Yeah. And the only cover i'm going to talk about cuz other people lots of people have covered it apparently is by Janet Jackson from oh, her wow. album her 1990... 90s. I can't even talk. Maybe i need ginger ale. Uh Her 1997 album called The Velvet Rope, Ah. which was her sixth album. Now, Paul, have you heard that album at all? Anything on it? Do you know about it?
1: The Janet Jackson album. Janet Jackson. No, I I recall the album by title, and that is about it. And that's it? Okay. Okay.
0: So, the original was recorded at Muscle Shoals in Sheffield, Alabama, and uh, it was very controversial during its time of release. If you know the song, you know why, but it went on to become a massive hit and was his second uh, chart topper here in the U.S. on the Billboard Hot 100. Uh, It started at 81 in October of 76, and then... uh, Went from number eight to the top of the chart in November and stayed on the top of the chart for eight consecutive weeks until January of 1977. That was a long-ass time. It was the longest stay of any song during 1976, the longest run at the top for a single in the U.S. in over eight years since the Beatles song, Hey Jude. How about that? That was in November of 68. Get it, Rod. And the longest stay at number one for Rod Stewart in his entire recording career. And the final number one... Of the U.S. bicentennial year.
1: <laughs> wow, I, I had that. I had the forty-five. I didn't have. I didn't have the full album of that, but I had the forty-five. Yeah, I had the album, and
0: uh, I remember going to the record store and buying it. And it was a record store that I went to all the time. It was a neighborhood record store owned by some little old white lady, and she was like, "Oh, I really shouldn't sell you this because." It's a little adult for you. Because in 76, I was in sixth grade. And I said, I heard the song on the radio. It's okay. Like, my parents aren't going to come here and sue What's you. What's on the it's on
1: the radio? I mean, what? She was
0: very uptight. So she's like, well, you're my best customer. So of course I'm going to sell it to you. Because of course I want your money. Um, she's like, oh, well, just, you know, if your mother, if your parents ask, don't tell them you got it from here. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> I'm like okay, lady, whatever. Like, Just give like me the fucking record. Yeah, they don't care. Um, my mom loved Rod Stewart. My mom and I saw Rod Stewart like three times together. Uh, like,
1: w- you know. but I don't understand. I mean, did she not know
0: that that song was on the radio? No, she. I think she knew it was on the radio, but I think she was worried that my parents would hear it and come in there and give her what for. Like, how dare you sell this album to my child in 6th grade who shouldn't be listening to things like this. Oh,
1: well, I know. think that's what she was worried about. I mean, you know, what else were you going in there to buy? To buy? <laughs> you know, you weren't going in there to buy the fucking New Zoo Review, right?
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> and there was no clean version of it, so, yeah. you know, give me the album. Because if I remember correctly... You know, the PMRC did not exist back then. Right. But it was like, you know, the the sexy song or the whatever. Like, right. you know, trying to make money. Well, who cares? Yeah. So, um, so, yeah. It was a big hit everywhere. And number one song on billboards in 1977, year-end chart, yada, yada, yada.
1: You know, I, sh- I should point out, actually, back to uh, when I had that 45 and, and it being on the radio. At that time... I was not aware that that was a woman. I thought I just thought Rod was just uh because uh, I didn't even know. Well, see, because also I was. When did that come out again? Seventy six. I was. I was six. Six. Yeah. So I didn't really get what that was. It was I yeah. just thought it was Rod doing voices. I and see the, that. the the sexy kind of thing about it was just sort of lost on me. Right. I just thought he was, whoa. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, I just thought he was just being stupid. And or talking in French. <laughs> being weird. Yeah. I didn't even know it was French. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I just literally thought he was just making noises. Being weird.
0: Yeah, well, I can totally understand that. Um, yeah, so for people, you should know this song, if you're old enough, I guess. I don't know. Um, I shouldn't have to explain it. And the reason why it was so controversial was because it was a song about him talking to some virginal teenager, getting ready to have sex with her. Don't say a word, my virgin child, and spread your wings and let me come inside? Oh,
1: wow. Well, you know what you're getting if you go out with Rod. Hey, man. It's all in the name. He was so...
0: (laughs) (laughs) And he was so cute then, because the shag was in full effect with the bangs, and the bow tie... So cute. So, according to Dan Peake of America, the band America, Stewart's inspiration for Tonight's the Night was America's top 30 hit, Today's the Day. Peek recalls that one evening when he and his guest Rod Stewart were playing together in Peek's home recording studio, I played Today's The Day, the song I had been working on. Rod said that he liked it, and that gave him an idea for a song. Of course, after his recording of Tonight's The Night came out, I laughed when I remembered what he had said. I'm sure I probably smacked my forehead and said, why didn't I think of that?
1: Which, well, well, I guess... I mean... Because you don't refer to yourself as Rod. Rod.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I barely remember that America song. I had to go back and listen to it when I was researching You know what? It. I don't
1: remember it by title. Which album is it on?
0: Um, I don't remember what album. But I did listen to it, and I was like... It's probably
1: the one where the title uh, starts with an H. Probably. <laughs> because for those of you, I don't know if any of you know, that oh, absolutely every, every single America album title was a word that started with an H. H.
0: Why did they do that? Well, sometimes
1: it was more than one word, but it had to start with an H. H,
0: yeah. Did they ever say why they did that? I don't know why. That's so weird.
1: I'm going to guess that it was something that just happened. Like, maybe they just had two in a row and went, oh, hey, and went, hey, let's keep doing that. Let's keep doing it. It's good luck. You know?
0: Yeah, I noticed that uh, years later when I was in a record store flipping through and noticed that every one started with an H, and I thought that was kind of funny.
1: Holiday, Harbor, Hearts... Homecoming. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's right. Uh, And uh, the weird part that Paul was talking about was his then-girlfriend, Britt Eklund, who was uh, speaking in French. And, um, yeah. So, while it was primarily recorded at Muscle Shoals, the final vocal was recorded at Caribou Ranch Studios. Ah, in the Rocky Mountains, where Stuart Eklund and producer Tom Dowd spent several days. The high-altitude result was a vocal an octave higher than C-based versions. Some radio stations play edits of the song shortening the coda, take out the whispery stuff because they thought it was too suggestive for airplay uh, in places where the song, where they would have to pay a fine or the song would be banned from being played on the air. The saxophone solo, which is one of the most famous sax solos ever, I think, in a rock song, uh, was done by Jerry Jumanville. Um, He was from New Orleans, had a very distinctive tone, and um, he was all, you know, everybody in New Orleans knew him, and he died uh, in 78, a couple years, at 78, a couple years ago. and he was also the saxophonist in Bette Midler's band for the movie The Rose, and was on the ah, soundtrack.
1: Yes. So it's one of those guys that look like one of the Muppets band Basically, that was yeah. on that stage. Because uh, if you yeah. look him up, he's like Floppy he's mustache, big
0: fat dude with a big mustache and curly yeah, hair. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, he contributed sax parts to the Doobie Brothers' Toulouse street album and he also recorded or toured and or toured with Bonnie Raitt, Van Morrison, Delaney and Bonnie, Chris Christopherson, Rita Coolidge and many others. And <laughs> get this. You and I and millions of other people have seen him on TV and didn't know who he was. Because When a scene from either Happy Days or Laverne and Shirley was on and a band was featured in the episode, he
1: was in the band. Really? Yeah. Well, now, was he playing sax? Because I thought, I may be not remembering this correctly, but I always picture uh, Richie playing the sax. Sometimes Richie would play the sax, but then
0: if they were, like, dancing and not playing instruments, and there was a band in the background, he was in that band.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. Um, so, uh, he went back to New Orleans after living in Hollywood, and was a fixture in local clubs, and played R&B, and blah, blah, blah. And um, he was in high school, he formed an R&B band called the Matadors, and backed up Ray Charles and James Brown whenever they came to New Orleans. And... At the time, he was imitating uh, David Fathead Newman. And Ray Charles encouraged him to develop his own style. Ray told him, Quit trying to sound like Fathead and sound like yourself. Stupid. Stupid. <laughs> you dumbass. <laughs> and uh, and he did. And then, boom, you know, he had his own thing. So um, he uh, also played with Dr. John and all that jazz. So he was an in-demand sax player for 70s rock and pop acts. And uh, was well known for he could go into a studio and they're like, we need a sax part for this, and he would just boom write it like right off the top of his head oh, yeah, and he write horn arrangements fly. and yeah know, do it on the fly, and he would say, uh, you know if you played you got paid this much if you did you know wrote the arrangement you got double if you did this you got triple and so he made a lot of money. Wow. All right, so the cover.
1: And you are not gonna like this. <laughs> you're not gonna like you're it. You're not gonna like it. <laughs> I will oh, never that, is that. <laughs> that is an inside joke. That is an inside
0: joke. You're not joke. gonna like it. And you're not gonna like it. The one that sticks out <laughs> in my head mostly was when we were at. It was that tragedy show at the Brooklyn Bazaar or whatever. And that I was, was where, that's yeah, it. That yeah, and I was like, where are the bathrooms? Here, like, go. <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, she, she, Crystal was looking for the bathrooms at this Brooklyn Bazaar show we were at, Man. and uh, the bathrooms were outhouses, indoor outhouses. Indoor outhouses, yeah. I, she said, do you know where the bathrooms are? And I just looked at her and shook my head, and I said, you're not going you like to like it. it. <laughs> and we've been laughing about that ever and since. I didn't. And you know what? You didn't like it. I did, did you? not like it. You did not. <laughs> I hated it. <laughs> I was You're so mad.
0: Like, like what the fuck? The outhouses uh, inside. indoors. Yeah, yeah. Why not just build toilets? Oh fuck! It was like some weird warehouse space or some shit. Yeah, you know. Oh, so stupid. Anyway, yeah, it's a good, it's a good laugh. So, um, the for those of you who are not familiar with the Velvet Rope, I will say that. You should listen to it, the whole thing. Um, I'm not saying that because it's really great. I'm saying that because it's very interesting. So, the Janet fans and Janet stands and whatever, I'm, I'm not... Am I a Janet Jackson fan? I guess. Do I own all of her records? No, I don't. But this... If people remember this time period, what did I say it was? Ninety seven. Um, yeah, ninety seven. So this was known as her like sexual coming out album.
1: Oh um, well, really? I thought No Control was or or whatever. No control was like control, yeah. I'm yeah. taking control of my life because I Right, I'm but I thought that with. was sort of part of it. Uh, you know I'm, I'm an adult now, and it and was, I'm fucking and everything you uh, yeah
0: know? it, it kind of was, but this is like a whole other level, all right, so the album cover you may remember it's uh it's uh like maroonish red, and her she's bent down on the front, so you just see like the top of her head and her hair is red and it's, it looks like mine, it's like short and I mean it's long and curly like afro, but longer,
1: yeah,
0: and she's wearing black and all the videos from it, everything is very sexy and sexual. So this is when she was exposing, she, oh, Janet Jackson has tattoos. Oh, she has her nipple pierced. Ooh, she's into Whoa, oh, she's in the BDSM. Oh, oh my goodness. This supposed to have been the 90s. 97. So it was her version of Madonna's erotica, kind of, right? So the songs off of it were Anytime, Anyplace. That was a huge hit. And the video was, it was massive. Because uh, it was a song about her fucking her boyfriend in public, wherever they were, it doesn't matter. Like I don't care if people are looking at us, because I love you and I'm just gonna fuck you wherever. And he was like, Ooh. <laughs> and the model, the dude in the video, was this very popular model at the time, this tall, lean black guy, and he had like a high top fade but with dreadlocks at the top, which people were not doing then, so it was like, oh, everybody, everybody spas out at this thing. Um, my need, I get lonely. Um, Rope Burn, (laughs) Anything, Go Deep. Uh, That was the big dance and the big dance single was Together Again from that. And Janet Jackson, she is not a good singer. She has... She's okay. She's okay. She has a thing where it's she sings in her upper breathy register all of the time. Okay. And I don't think that she should be doing that all the time. I think that she should sing in her regular voice. Because she's got a nice... I don't think her voice is as deep as mine. But it reminds me of Paris Hilton. Like Paris Hilton... "Ah, That's hot. That's all a put-on. Her real voice is deeper and normal. Right. And I think it would serve Janet Jackson better if she used her deeper, normal voice to sing stuff.
1: Because it sounds better to me. Well, it would be a good idea for her to sort of uh, mix it mix up. Mix it up, yeah. You know, do her higher breathy thing, and then on the next song, maybe do, do something, something more, else. Because
0: yeah. you know, Black Cat, she's singing full regular voice, and a, you know, a Rhythm Nation, she's singing her full regular voice. And I just think that she should do more of it because it's it's fine. But whatever. So, um, in uh, the rest of this album, it's all it has also all these weird little breathy interludes, like. 28 seconds of heavy breathing, and then one of them is like a phone sex call with another woman. Another woman, ooh, she's Uh. a lesbian, you know. So it's all that yada yada yada. And um, so her cover of this tonight, tonight's the night, is a three-way because the beginning of the song, she's like, this song, this song is about you and you it's about me and you and you (laughs) so it's a woman and a dude so she edgy she's edgy edgy. she's a freak she's a freak in the sheets so um it's super slow she does this chirpy vocal that's her signature electronic drums a hip-hop break beat comes in there with clavinet i think and doubled backing vocals and it's this weird coda at the end and thunder and rain sounds thunder and rain is all over this album jimmy jam and terry lewis they were in love with thunder and rain for some reason they just kept throwing it in That's there
1: because it's sexy
0: because it's a it's quiet storm yes yeah, it's, yes it's literally it's quite, quite literally storm, quite literally yeah so yeah she starts the song this is just between me and you and you and then each chorus addresses a different gender So you can tell. Oh, I'm singing to the chick. Oh, I'm singing to the dude. And, um, yeah. So, Neil McCormick, from the Daily Telegraph's review, um, says, uh, you know, she's climaxing, if that's the right word, with a bizarre lesbian reinterpretation of Rod Stewart's Tonight's the Night. So, now we're going to listen to them Oh.
1: That's the backyard. That was a bodega guy over next door, like, pulling the... The gate down. I, 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 they must have a back gate, because I hear that back in the back all the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because, um, you know, when they're
1: out there partying, we can hear them sometimes. Well, that's the, the thing. I mean, they don't hang out in this back area back here. That's... They're the ones who have the access to that oh, back there. We oh, don't. Oh, okay. Because
0: uh, remember one time I was over here and they were out there like, ooh, like playing music and eating oh, and well, drinking yeah, It and happens shit.
1: sometimes, but rarely. Yeah. okay. Yeah.
0: So we're going to check these out and then... <laughs> <laughs> and then now that you guys all know about my
1: bodega next door.
0: Yeah. <laughs> when you're in the neighborhood, you'll know. Yeah. And uh, there's a motorcycle parked in the front. Um, yeah. So we're going to listen to these and then say that Rod Stewart did a better job.
2: My window. Stay away from my. Pretty French gown. Let me pull you a good long. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so yeah, I love you, girl. Ain't nobody gonna uh, stop us now.
1: Damn <laughs> <tell you>, man,
0: <laughs> see,
1: fucking edgy. The woman yeah. is standing on the very edge, the cutting edge, the
0: precipice, yeah, of something. I-
1: Where she stood and looked down. Please explain to the people where that comes from. Look, they've got to know. If you don't know that reference, then you don't deserve an explanation. <laughs> it's uh, the, the great Van Halen. Mm-hmm. Ain't talking about love. Ain't talking about love. Exactly. i the edge where our stood look down. <clears throat> <laughs> baby. Yeah.
0: So anyway, um, I will say that obviously Rod Stewart wins this. But I appreciate Janet Jackson's effort into making it something different. Oh, sure. And scene. That's all I got.
1: Pick. You don't you don't want to know which one I
0: pick? Ahead, yeah, yeah, that's that's me. Now, who oh, do you okay, pick? Paul? Okay, I was just
1: going to say because cuz you're probably shrouded in mystery. <laughs> I have no as idea to which one I might choose.
0: I can't even imagine who you're going to yeah. pick.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm going to shock the living fuck out of you. Oh no. Because I choose the Rod Stewart version. Oh, my God.
0: Oh, shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> Who would have ever guessed? Oh, no.
1: Who would have ever guessed? I never would have thunk that. Yet. Yeah, yeah. It's even better than the Janet Jackson version, if you can <sighs> believe it.
0: Amazing. Amazing. And for anybody who's going to try and come for me without calling first, I did not say that I hated it. I did not say that I hate Janet Jackson. I saw Janet Jackson in concert four times. Because she always put on a good show, because it was much like a Madonna show, or a Kiss show, where it was basically a Broadway show. It was the exact same thing, every single time, on that on whatever tour it is. Everything is timed to the second, and uh, the only thing that would change for Janet Jackson, especially this tour, the Velvet Rope tour, I think my sister came with me, was that... Uh, Was it during this song or another one? Or Rope Burn, I guess. She would pick a guy out of the audience. An unsuspecting dude, pick him out of the audience. Her dancers would drag him up there, tie him to a chair, and then she would give him a lap dance. Ooh, dirty. So, uh, yeah. I like Janet Jackson. I don't hate her. I just, you know, it's an interesting cover. That's all I got. So song number two is What's So Funny About... Peace, Love, and Understanding. And the original was done by a Mr. Nick Lowe in 1974, and then cover was done by Elvis Costello in 1979. Now, I noticed, Paul, over there on the speaker here in your studio, that you've got an Elvis Costello book.
1: Yeah, that Nate sent that to me. My friend Nate sent that to me because he bought it and read it and enjoyed it. And, uh... She just Love. said, you, I'm sending this book to you. You've got to read it." Uh, okay.
0: Now that's in your queue because you're still. In well, Carly it's in my Simon, queue. Right? It, was,
1: it was next in line, but uh, I, I was reading Carly Simon's autobiography and enjoyed it enough to where I decided to get her second book and put that ahead of Elvis. So sorry, Elvis, you're going to have to wait a little longer. Wait a little longer because, <laughs> you, as you can see, I yes. have a whole pamphlet. <laughs> I did. I have to read of the Carly Simon book. The second one is like, look at how thin it is. Yeah. It so is. I mean, you know. It won't take long to get through it. We'll finish that in a week. All right, so... So now you all know.
0: Now you all know. Um, Yeah, because I knew that you had gotten the Carly part, too, but uh, I wasn't sure if you had read that beforehand. So the original, which was done by Nick Lowe, but it wasn't just Nick Lowe. So he had this band called Brinsley Schwartz. Yeah, or Schwartz. Sorry, Brinsley Schwartz. Brinsley Schwartz, featuring.
1: Well, it's it's kind of like Jay Giles. There actually was a guy named Brinsley Schwartz in the band. Band,
0: okay. Yeah. Um, so it's from their 1974 album, "The New Favorites," <clears throat> with a U of Brinsley Schwartz, S C H uh, W A R Z, and the song was released as a single, and it did not chart at all. How about that? And then the cover by Elvis Costello. Well, let me finish with the original. So it's like a fast mid-tempo, if that makes any sense. Country and western type of thing. There are a lot of backing vocals, a lot of harmonized things. Oh, there we go. Boom. Oh, that's a pretty looking, cool-looking cover. For what the song sounds like? I never would have guessed that. Oh, okay. Brinsley Schwarz. New favorites. All right. I will put up a picture of me holding up this album, because Paul has it. Excellent. Um, <clears throat> so I can't put my finger on who that song reminds me of, but it reminds me of somebody. It's kind of easy breezy, laid-back California dreaming thing, but not totally. I don't know,
1: it's uh, weird. The, the Brindley Schwarz version. The
0: of Schwarz, yeah. Uh, and then the cover <clears throat> by Elvis Costello and the Attractions, uh, it was a B-side of Lowe's 1978 single, American Squirm. A version credited to Nick Lowe and his sound. So at the time, Lowe was Costello's producer, and he produced that track. And Lowe said of the process, It was Costello's idea. I produced his records back then. He was a fan of a band I was in before Rockpile called Brinsley Schwarz. He used to come and see us play. Peace, Love, and Understanding was a Brinsley Schwarz song. When the Brinsleys broke up, like all groups, most of the songs sort of go into the dustbin, metaphorically speaking, and that was kind of one of them. But it was he who really popularized that song. It's been covered by loads of people, and it would have disappeared if it wasn't for him. So when the song became a hit, it was quickly slapped on the end of armed forces. And uh, it's also on his Elvis Costello's Best Of compilations, and the soundtrack The 200 Cigarettes, and their live versions, and blah, 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 the Spinning Songbook. I saw that tour in the early 2000s. It's like 2001 or something. Uh, so it was Elvis Costello's Spinning Songbook, so he literally had a giant wheel on stage. <laughs> and would let people, like, pick people from the audience, go up and spin the wheel, and then they'd play that song.
1: He'd play whatever song came up. Wow.
0: Yeah, it was really cool. And It, it sounds had, like
1: something Todd Rundgren would do.
0: Right? And I'm really surprised Todd Rundgren, to my knowledge, has never done that. But, uh, yeah, it was, like, 90% of the show. Because there were, like, 55 or 60 songs on that wheel. <laughs> it was really cool. It was at MSG, I think. Yeah. So, um... In 2004, Rolling Stone magazine ranked this version of the song as the 284th best song of all time. Wow. I don't know. So for me, for me... For me? For me, well, he does the same arrangement Elvis Costello does, but it's faster and it drives a lot harder. It's the Elvis Costello rave up, you know, signature thing. But his drummer, Pete Thomas, crushes on this song. And I remember getting into discussions with people where they were like, "Oh, that's so crazy! You overdubbed that stuff, blah blah blah." And I was like, uh, "No, you've obviously never seen this guy live. He plays it exactly like the song live. He's amazing. He's a great drummer." Did you ever see Elvis Costello live?
1: I'm not an Elvis Costello so fan. fan. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so modern drummer said of Pete Thomas' performance. A beautiful thing happens on this song, common to many early attraction songs. It's that feeling that the track could derail when in reality, Thomas has everything locked down. He does a lot of playing here without overplaying. Like most attraction songs from that era, this was cut live, full band, and lead vocal. That's probably why so many years later it still sounds so energized and inspired. And it does. You listen to that song anytime and it just kicks you right in the ass and he's great. He's really great, Pete Thomas. So uh we're going to listen to both of these and then pick a winner.
2: As I walk This
3: wicked world Searching for light In the darkness of insanity Oh yeah I ask myself Is our hope gone? Is there only And misery, oh yeah. And each time I feel like this inside, there's one thing I wanna know. Oh, what's so funny about peace, love, and understanding?
0: Paul?
1: Well as you know as I have the Brinsley Schwarz album right here handy. Yes. And as I mentioned uh, I'm not a fan of Elvis Costello. That's correct. Uh, my favorite version of those two is the Elvis Costello version. What? Oh Absolutely, my god. Yes. <laughs>
0: oh, I'm genuinely shocked.
1: <laughs> well you know I the, like most people like Almost everybody. The first version I heard was, was Elvis. the Elvis Costello version, and I always did like that. I mean, I'm not an Elvis Costello fan, but I don't hate him, and I don't dislike every song.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm just not into him, mm. and uh, I, I always liked that track. And I like the Brinsley Schwarz version too, but I just think the Elvis Costello version just has a, has just it's a bit, a so bit more works. meat to it. You know, it's so great. Yeah.
0: Now the Brinsley Schwarz. Does it remind you of anybody? Else? does it who does it does it sound like anybody else to you because uh, I can't quite put my finger on it if it's like Peter Green Fleetwood Mackie or I mean it just
1: it just yeah. has that Nick glow sound to it really
0: yeah well yeah yeah but it just I don't know
4: yeah
0: it has his sound without it being I guess because more people, including myself, when I think of him, I think of the 80s. And I think of Elvis Costello. Right. And I think of right his songs from that time period and all that jazz. And Cruelty everybody he kind. produced, you know. Uh, yeah. I don't think of Brinsley Schwarz.
1: Yeah. Well, Brinsley Schwarz, they, they weren't anything in the U.S. Right. I mean, we, we, we didn't know about them. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's only a name you could throw out. Over there, well, you know, in the UK, then. Quite. Right. And, uh, yeah. I mean, I didn't know about Brinsley Schwartz at all, much less that version of that album until the OOS, the 00s.
0: Yeah, I heard it on a college radio. Probably like KDU in Philly or something when I was in college in the 80s. I think yeah. that's when I heard it.
1: But that album, that is hands down the best Brinsley Schwartz album, and it's a great album. But, uh
0: How many others but, do they yeah, have? still
1: giving that to, to Elvis. How many others do they have, Brinsley Schwarz? Uh, How many albums do they have? Maybe, I'm going to say roughly five or so.
0: Oh, really? Oh,
1: wow. Okay.
0: I feel like I need to listen to them. But if this is the best one, then I'm not going to. That's
1: by far the best one. That's the last one. That's, That's their final album. Okay.
0: All right, good to know. All right, song number three. It is called Baby, I Love You. And the original was done by the Ronettes in 1963 and released on their debut album, presenting the fabulous Ronettes that came out in 1964. Do you know who wrote the song? You know who wrote the song. Uh, the Ramones. <laughs> no. Not the Ramones. I gu- I'm guessing
1: it wasn't Phil Spector.
0: It was not Phil Spector.
1: Uh, uh, I don't know. It was Jeff Barry and Ellie. Oh, duh! Yeah, see. yeah. That's, yeah, it was. It, that's. I just said I don't know because it was one of those things where I kind of did know, but I was going to have to hear it again to go. Oh yeah, yeah, duh. that. Yeah, yeah
0: exactly. Um, but he. Well, it's credited to all three of them, him and her and Phil.
1: Yeah. So well, Phil. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and he he's going to go it. in and take all his credit. The credit. Yeah. yeah, and he produced it, of course. And then uh, I have two covers of this. Ha ha. Wow. The first one is by Andy Kim.
1: You know what? Yeah, I've heard the Andy Kim version.
0: Yeah. He recorded the song for Jeff Barry's record label, Steve Records, Steed Records, on his album, Baby I Love You, in
4: 1969.
1: <laughs>
0: Imaginatively titled, it's, Baby I Love You. Yeah. Um, his version became a top 10 hit here in the United States. Uh, reaching number nine in 1969 and earned a gold record. How about that? And then the second cover is The Ramones from their album End of the Century from 1980, which was produced by Phil Spector. And, uh, yeah. So the original, it's Phil Spector. It's his crazy-ass wall of sound. It's chugging along the backing vocals, uh, the kitchen sink, uh, the glockenspiel. uh, It's got everything in it. Um, Ronnie Spector sang lead. And the backing vocals, Cher, Sonny Bono. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the Blossoms, which featured Darlene Love. Uh, And the instrumentation, the Wrecking Crew. Of course. And Leon Russell was on piano.
1: I did not know that. It's all those, all those usual suspects.
0: Yeah, I didn't know about Leon Russell though. I knew the Wrecking Crew.
1: Yeah, you know it's funny. Sonny Bono gets people just think of him as sort of the, the bumbling guy. You know, just sort of the, sort of the dumb guy from the TV show, and that he was, a joke. Yeah, you know, but he. Yeah, he was he was he was writing songs and doing all that he Brill building shit, you know, before Sonny and Cher, Cher. was even yeah. famous.
0: He was in the building. He was a Brill dude. He yeah. was all over the place.
1: Yeah. Well, and also the whole image of him being the dumb one was his idea. Yep. Yeah, he knew. Yeah, he
0: was a smart dude, except yeah.
1: for when it came to skiing. Waan waan waan.
0: All right. So the covers, um, Andy Kim's, and people you should know Andy Kim from the seventies from his big hit song. You want to sing it, Paul?
1: Rock Me Gently. Me gently. Oh, man, Rock did I love slowly.
0: that one. Take it easy. It's oh, a great man, that song. was one of my
1: favorite songs love. when I was a kid. I had the 45 of that. Love that song. Oh, so good. With the red capital label? Yes.
0: Yes, yes, yes. yes. So he did. Well, I mean, Jeff Barry was there. It was a wall of sound imitation. Uh, his vocals are dreamy and soft, uh, but the. The female backing vocals are annoying. And then he adds this sha-na-na-na-na thing at the end of it. So what I did not know about Andy Kim... Because Andy Kim is like a... It's a... Have Kim for a last name. It's like...
1: He's a sultan of swing.
0: It's (laughs) it's like such a kind of white guy name, you know? Um, But he is now 74 by the way, uh, he is the son of Lebanese immigrants yeah. to Canada. I did not know
1: that. That's right. He's, He's Lebanese. Practically an oil baron, that guy. Yeah.
0: Um, he grew up in Montreal and Quebec and is known for um, Baby I Love You and Rock Me Gently in 1974 and everybody, well, Paul knows this, probably other people don't. Is that he co-wrote "Sugar, Sugar" in 1968 and sang on the recording as part of the Archies, yeah. and that was number one for four weeks and was record of the year for 1969.
1: Undeservedly, so undes- <laughs> undeservedly.
0: <laughs> what should have been the number one song of 1969,
1: Paul? Uh, maybe "Get Together" by Young Bloods. Hmm. Well, probably more time of the season. Okay. Right. I mean, that's, that's off the top of my head. I'd have to look at a list. A list, yeah. No, those are good choices. I,
0: all right. Um, he has recorded under the stage name Baron Longfellow <laughs> since the mid-1980s or just as Longfellow in the early 1990s. He continues to perform under his original recording name of Andy Kim. And he's 74 years old now, and I can't remember the last time I heard him on the radio uh, where the song didn't come from, 1974. So, the Ramones... Hmm. Joey Ramone loved Phil Spector. Phil Spector loved Joey Ramone. Phil Spector produced that album, and in an incident at Spector's house, he held the Ramones hostage at gunpoint and (laughs) made them listen to him play Baby I Love You until 4.30 in the morning. Spector insisted that the Ramones recorded a cover of the song and got Joey Ramone to sing it with some session musicians, as none of the other members of the Ramones would play on it. Joey said that it didn't sound anything like the Ramones, and he hated the song. Mickey has said, it made me almost embarrassed with its gooey string section and arrangement that sounded right out of Redbone's Come and Get Your Love. Kurt Loder, for the Rolling Stone magazine, described it as a sludged-out rehash of the Ronettes' antiquity. That was a bad idea to begin with, and one that's further burdened by the cheesiest string arrangement this side of Lange's symphonette. That's pretty cut in there. Uh, Reviewing the end of the century respectfully for Pitchfork, Evan Minxer wrote that even with a full understanding of the end of the century's context, Baby I Love You is jarring and is a museum piece, a pound-for-pound attempt to relive Spectre's golden years.
1: Yeah, well, you know.
0: Now, when you... You have that, you have that album? Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, before you bought it and you heard that they were doing that cover, what did
1: you expect? Uh, I ex- would have expected. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Well, that's what everybody was gonna was thinking, and that that album. Did you fall off your couch when you <laughs> heard well, what no, happened? Y- y- no, I mean it's just you know I was I was pretty young when that record came out, so I wasn't in steeped in sort of like you know what. The Ramones were supposed to be kind of like when when Kiss put out "I Was Made for Loving You." I was like, "What? This is this go?" I'm like, yeah. you know, I was too young to be like, "This isn't rock." I wasn't like in, you know, the "It's got to be rock or it sucks" camp yet. You know, it was just like, "Oh, new Kiss, awesome!" You know? Yeah. Yeah,
0: it's pretty weird. Um, all right, so we're gonna listen to these and then <laughs> and pick a winner.
1: Paul. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, come on. I mean, I like. I'm okay with Andy Kim. I think mainly because of, uh, you know, some goodwill coming his way because of Rock Me Gently. Yeah. And of course, the Ramones. Love the Ramones. But, I mean, what the fuck you got? Yeah. Of course, the Ronettes version. I mean, that's yeah. not even. It's so not great. even a question.
0: I was on a Ronettes jag a couple of days ago where I listen to their greatest hits or whatever. And so many songs I'd forgotten about cuz you know, you usually hear like the same three or four all the time whenever they're mentioned. But Try they're to... all really really great. Yeah. They're all fucking awesome. Yeah. And uh yeah, the Ronettes, of course they win. Don't be ridiculous. Yeah.
1: Okay. And
0: the Ramones. I mean, wow.
1: I mean, I don't I don't have any problem with that version, but yeah, I mean, I don't think it's great or anything. No, it's not great. But could you
0: imagine being held at gunpoint by that nutbag?
1: Until <laughs> <laughs> 4 o'clock, yeah.
0: 4.30 in the morning. Oh, boy. Well, I guess they were lucky they made it out alive, considering what he wound up doing. All right, song number four is The Passenger. And... Uh...
1: La, la, la... <laughs>
0: So it's a song, uh it's a song by the original is by Iggy Pop co-written with Ricky Gardner or Gard Gar, Gard Gardener, something. And it was from his Lust for Life album in 1977. And uh it was also released as the B-side of the album's only single, Success. And then it was released as a single all by itself in 1998, which I think is kind of interesting that it took that long. Um, yeah, so he says that it was loosely based on a poem by Jim Morrison.
1: Have you ever heard what? that? On a poem by Jim Morrison? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Um, Iggy wrote the
0: lyrics and uh, yeah, Ricky, the guitarist, composed the music. Yeah. Um, So yeah, and then the cover is by Susie and the Banshees. Oh,
1: God. (laughs) Yes, I have heard this.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. Um,
1: (laughs) The game is already over.
0: Again, please pray for Paul. Um, (laughs) It came out in 1987 on their all-cover versions album called Through the Looking Glass. And uh, so they revamped it by adding some
1: brass arrangements Wait, is that the album where they did that really awful version of Dear Prudence that everybody loves? Yes. Ah, go fuck yourselves. Okay.
0: (laughs) But dig it. Iggy Pop likes their version and said, that's good. She sings it well, and she threw a little note in when she sings it. I wish that I had thought of that. It's kind of improved. Ah, The horn thing is good.
1: So, well, you know, Iggy liked it. Nothing like a little bit of publishing money to make you like a version of I, a song. <laughs> I wasn't going to call him out like that, but okay. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: That's fine. So, the Iggy version, the personnel on this thing is very interesting. So, Iggy Pop sang the lead vocals, David Bowie played piano, organ, and did the backing vocals. And if you listen with really good headphones, you can distinctly hear that it's David Bowie back there. Yeah. Um, Ricky Gardiner played lead guitar. Carlos Alomar on rhythm guitar. Tony Sales played bass. And Hunt Sales played drums. And for you kids out there who don't know who Tony and Hunt are, they are the sons of the comedian from the 50s and 60s, Soupy Sales. And they went on to form a band with David Bowie called Tin Machine. In the
1: yeah, they were also the rhythm section of Todd Rundgren's Runt.
0: There you go. So they were around for a long time. Not to say that they're dead; they're probably still alive. But I don't think they've done
1: anything since Tin Machine. Uh, Or did they do
0: stuff on their own?
1: Nothing. uh, Nothing high profile, at least.
0: Yeah. And Tin Machine.
1: I really didn't like Tin Machine. No, nobody did. Nobody did. (laughs) Nobody (laughs) did. Well, on paper, when when I heard it was coming out and. I thought Yes Oh man Bowie has like a rock band, band This is going to be gonna amazing be awesome. and then, and It's like oh But he's doing it in the 80s So it's just not, It can't be good <laughs>
0: No it was not good That was a stone cold bummer um, Yeah So we're going to Listen to these And then And then Paul's going to say That Susan the Banshee sucks
2: <laughs> I am a Passenger
0: So, how much do you hate the Susie and the Banshees version? Oh.
1: From one to ten. From one to ten?
4: <laughs> I mean, you know.
1: At least nine.
4: Mm.
1: I, yeah, I, I don't. I'm not into it. I can't. I'm just. I'm not into Susie. Yeah. Not into Susie. And. uh. She's
0: not for everybody. I she's understand. She's not for that. everybody. Not yeah. For everybody. no, no. She's. I get it.
1: But, yeah, I mean, obviously the Iggy version, and that's. It's my favorite Iggy album to boot. so.
0: Yeah, that is a great album.
1: I concur. Oh, well, my favorite Iggy solo album. Oh, all right. I'm not going to put that necessarily above Stooges. Stooges. But
0: oh, yeah. No, I thought you meant solo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely.
1: It's, um, it's
0: good. What other songs are on there?
1: Uh, obviously, Less For life, life, but... And here comes success, success. Yeah. And uh,
0: Sweet and Sixteen and Leather Boots. Yeah. yeah, you
1: know, all that kind of shit.
0: <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. Yeah, listen to that album, people. It's really, really great. Iggy Pop, The Passenger, genius. All right. Um, so we're up to song number five. And um, I don't know, man. Uh, It's called "The Heat Is On," <laughs> and I'm talking about the Glenn Fry, Frey, Fry. It's Fry. It's Fry. But, uh, it's spelled Frey. Pronounced Frey. Frey. Um, or Glen- not
1: pronounced. It's spelled Frey. It's spelled
0: Frey. Pronounced Fry. <laughs> uh, the dude from the Eagles. Yes, uh, it's his song.
1: The dead dude from the Eagles. The dead
0: dude from the Eagles. Yeah. When did he die? How long ago was that? Yeah. That was a long time
1: ago, right? That was that was during the uh, the the 2016 onslaught. He was, oh,
0: when like 50, he, remember
1: when like people when major people were dying left daily. And right, he yeah. was like, you forgot about it because five thousand other people died that same week. Yeah, who were was just as
0: famous. Really crazy. That was a really bad year. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah, so Glenn Frey, uh, he did the original. Um, it came out in 1984. It was the huge hit from the Beverly Hills Cop soundtrack. And um, <laughs> I just realized that we're sitting here in the dark.
4: <laughs> are we? <laughs> we
0: are. Could you turn on the light? Oh, Okay. <laughs> Because I was just thinking, like, what time is it? It's so dark. Well, you know what it is? is that <coughs> It's cloudy outside.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, it's only 6.15. It is 6.15. Really, it shouldn't be dark for another couple of hours, but yeah. it's a really overcast day, Terrible so day. it's it seems pretty dark. Yeah,
0: yeah, I was just looking at you and...
1: did <laughs> you realize I was a silhouette?
0: I was, like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, he's a human shadow, why is it so dark in here? All right, so yeah, <clears throat> so that is um, when, uh, when Glenn Fry did it. And uh, everybody remember Beverly Hills Cop because it was a big fucking thing. And the cover that I have is done by Gloria Gaynor.
1: Oh, wow. Wow, One Who Gains.
0: Uh, one Who Gains. Um, yeah, it was uh, from 1992. And it's from this album, uh, The Power of Gloria Gaynor. Wow, and it apparently is uh, an all-cover album,
1: and I well, will not since she's not a songwriter. I guess any album she would do. Do it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of like uh, <clears throat> kind like Barbra Streisand.
0: Yeah, um, and I will not reveal any of the other songs because I'm saving them for future episodes. Oh, okay,
1: we have some some material here. We okay.
0: got some material because. Boy, howdy. I sat through that album. Oh,
1: okay, okay. And
0: yowza, yowza, yowza. Oh, is okay. something else. So, yeah. So Wait, it, when when is this album
1: from? It's from uh, it's from the 90s. Oh. Uh, 1992. Wow, Gloria Gaynor tries to reclaim her spot in yeah. 1992, huh?
0: And I don't know. I'm trying to remember. It was... Sh- it was her who like became a born again Christian. Was it oh, her or know. the other one? Who was the other?
1: Was she hanging out with Billy
0: Billy Preston? <laughs> no. Um, who? Not Donna Summer, but who was the other big disco diva? Gloria Gaynor, and was it somebody else?
1: Uh, Donna Summer, of course.
0: N- not Donna Summer, though. Somebody else. Uh,
1: Thelma Houston. Thelma Houston.
0: Yeah, it was either her and. It was either her or Thelma Houston, who at some point in the 90s became a born-again Christian. I'm pretty sure it was Gloria Gaynor, because I remember seeing her on The View. And everybody who knows me knows that I love The View, because it is my all-time favorite daily train wreck when I'm at home. And she was on there talking about how she was, you know, on drugs and was a very bad girl, and then found Jesus and had her soul saved and, you know, all that. Because I think she put out a...
1: Yeah, um, apparently. Appa- evidently, she did. She, she put out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when she was on drugs, she did indeed put out. But sorry. Yeah, she she made a, like, a gospel album or oh, something. sorry. Yeah. yeah, okay.
0: So, um... And then she went back to doing secular music, and this is one of the things. So we're going to listen to both of these, and then I'm going to call an ambulance for Paul after he jumps out of the window. (laughs) Okay.
1: So you said that was recorded in 1992, huh? correct? Sounds like it was recorded the same year the Glenn Frey version was recorded, <laughs> right? <laughs> which would have been what eighty,
0: eighty-four, 80 something, yeah,
1: eighty-something. 80, like 80 um, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, okay. <laughs> so it sounds like uh, Gloria Gaynor does karaoke over. Yeah. That's exactly
0: what it is, a karaoke backing track. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm dying to know <laughs> <laughs> who her management was at the time and thought that this was a good idea. Her dog?
1: I mean, I mean who the fuck? <laughs> dog! I mean, because, well, also because I, I, if, for those of you who weren't around in the early 90s mm. and don't, and everybody loves the '80s now, right? Like the '80s are the greatest things ever happened. Everybody loves the fucking '80s. But in the early '90s, oh no, mm-hmm. no, 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 no! The '80s were mm. a no-no. No, 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 no. was much of a no-no as the '70s were in the '80s. Yes, yes. And Thank so, you. doing a cover like the, a, <clears throat> a cover of an '80s hit in 1992, in the same exact style of the '80s version, yes, was about as out of touch as you could get at that moment
0: yeah I don't (laughs) I'm kind of gobsmacked like what what why (laughs) I mean I'm thinking at a distance whoever was in charge of her was like uh, you know Gloria you can really belt we all know this and maybe we should take like a Tina Turner approach and make you kind of sound Tina Turner-ish sort of. Because everybody hardcore, I mean you hear that opening harp and you know what you're going to hear. Disco. But then it's, you know, a fucking fire truck and then <laughs>
4: Yeah. Well, you,
1: well what she needed was what Tina Turner got, yeah. which was a good, strong song that wasn't just a remake of some, some 70s bit. or 80s yeah. song. Because at first, when Tina Turner dumped Ike and decided to try to rebuild her life and her career on her own, yeah, the first thing she kind of did was cover. She did Ball of Confusion. She, she did uh, Al Green. She uh, did Tonight Let's Day by David Together. Bowie.
0: She did tons of stuff. And that stuff
1: didn't really stick. It wasn't until... She came out with the Private Dancer Answer. album, and all those songs, she didn't write those songs, but they're her songs, because you don't know those from yeah. somebody else having done them in the 60s, the, the 70s. 70s, you know that's where you first heard those songs.
0: Exactly, and I I haven't seen the documentary or anything, but I'm thinking that, what's his face, uh, she finally married him, the German or Austrian, uh, Who? What? her
1: husband, uh, but the guy she's married to now?
0: Yeah, like, he, he was the one who resurrected her career. And I think that at that point in time, like, when she was in Vegas, struggling, you know, doing her review.
1: Right, doing her little review and doing... <coughs>
0: uh, John, yeah, that he... I think that he actually, like, sought out songwriters, like, write a song for Tina Turner. Write Tina yeah. Turner songs. And that's why that album was
1: so fucking huge. Yeah, binge. and Gloria Gaynor could have... I think, I think she could have done that. I think... You could have gone to people and said, write a song for Gloria, Gloria Gaynor, and people would have been like,
0: alright. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, there are plenty of them who could do that. Um, I don't think that it would be a stretch. Again, I'm not a songwriter, for a lot of reasons, but people who are songwriters like you, you're a songwriter, I know other people who are songwriters, if somebody assigned you like, hey, could you write a song for Gloria Gaynor?
1: Right. You know. you be, Either you're interested or you're not, or you are you feel you're up to it or you're or not. not, but you know.
0: Yeah. But you somebody out there is going to do it. But
1: somebody is going to. Yeah. yeah. Who's going to be up for it?
0: So for people who don't understand, and it kind of boggles my mind that people still don't understand this, <clears throat> a lot of people think that every song that you hear was written by the person who was singing it. Right. <laughs> and that's not how it works, because that's why there are people called songwriters. and they write songs and they have them piled up and they have a manager and then they shop them around to people or they let them sit. There are a million stories about, uh, you know, who wound up getting hit with the song and the 18 people who turned it down and you're like, what? Oh my God, I can't believe it. Like, could you imagine so-and-so doing that? So, yeah, it's easy to find a songwriter. That's not rocket science, so. Gloria, I don't know, child. I don't know, so. Yeah, just, uh. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, <clears throat> she hadn't exactly been on the scene for a while, so maybe that was just her putting her toe in the water. water, I guess. And, uh, well...
0: Yeah. Mm. And she got all washed up. All right, so, uh, what song was that? Was that five? Yeah, okay. So here's the last song of this episode, song number six, and it is called, Will You Love Me Tomorrow? And it is sometimes known as Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow? Because some people do that. And it was a song written by who? Carol King! And <laughs> Jerry Goffin. Goffin exactly. Um, originally recorded in 1960 by the Shirelles. And that uh, single went to number one on the Hot 100 chart. Um, Excuse me. Whenever I'm talking about a chart, it's billboard. I shouldn't have to say that all the time, just so you know. <laughs> you're,
1: not, you're, not, you're not spewing out the cash box.
0: And cash, but yeah, uh, I'm not talking about cash box or uh, yeah, yeah. any other thing. It's it's billboard. Um, the song is also notable for being the first song by a all-black girl group to reach number one here in the United States. And it has been covered by a million different people, including Carol King in what year?
1: Night. 72 71 One. Oh. oh wait which is it on oh is, is it on the, um, uh, the music album or the, the tapestry so, album yeah <clears throat> um bah bah, bah bah um
0: so she recorded it for tapestry with Joni Mitchell and James Taylor performing back and vocals on separate channels yeah. uh her version was taken at a considerably slower tempo David Hepworth analyzed it as less like the pleas for the gentleness on the part of a trembling virgin and more like a mature woman requiring parity in the relationship. Uh, Yeah. It gained considerable album-oriented rock. So whenever you hear somebody say AOR, that's what that means. (laughs) Album-oriented rock. uh, Due to the large-scale commercial success of the album. And if you don't know Tapestry...
1: Then I, I'll I mean, turn this off and
0: go away. Just walk until go away. Your hat floats because if you don't have that album, if you don't know that album, if I mean, what the fuck? Go out and get. By- well, you don't have to yeah. have
1: it because maybe you don't like it. But you have got to. You've know You've got it.
0: to listen to it. Uh, it's fa- it's just you have to. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, the mu- music- musicians on that were uh, Danny. Kooch Karch, 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 Karchmore uh, he played acoustic Russ Kunkel played the drums Charles Charlie Larkey played bass Joni Mitchell did BVs and James Taylor played acoustic and did backing vocals and again if you listen with really good headphones you can hear who they are now there are a million other cover versions of this I could have talked about Brenda Lee Ben E. King Little Eva Ronnie James Dio Oh, shit. I didn't know about that one. Ronnie James Dio and The Prophets released a version in 1962 as a single.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah. There's a bunch of 60s, a bunch of really really obscure Dio stuff in the 60s. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, Cher, Jackie D. Shannon, Uh, The Four Seasons, Linda Ronstadt, Roberta Flack, Smokey Robinson, uh, Dave Mason... Brotherhood of Man, Andy Gibb, Dionne Warwick, Laura Brannigan, Joe Walsh, Brian Ferry, Laura Nero, Debbie Gibson, The Bee Gees, Me First and The Gimme Gimmes. Oh. Please <laughs> tell
1: me we're not going to be playing
4: that oh, one. Oh, no,
0: we're not listening to that. Um, <laughs> recorded a cover for their 2001 album, Blow in the Wind. Uh, Twiggy. And uh, everything but the girl, Bette Midler. But the one I want to talk about is Amy Winehouse. And she recorded it in 2004 for the soundtrack to that shitty movie Bridget Jones, The Edge of Reason. And then a further version that was released in 2011 on her posthumous album, Lioness, Hidden Treasures. So... The uh, Amy Winehouse version, um, what the fuck is that guy's name? Jules, what's his face, the piano player? Jules Holland.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> Jules <Schier>. I Jules Shear? I said Jules Shear.
0: <laughs> Jules Holland, who was in Squeeze, piano player, yeah. British dude, everybody, he's played with everybody. So he had, maybe still has, a, uh, a show, a talk show, a variety show in England. Yeah. And Before Amy Winehouse became Amy Winehouse, he had her on there a bunch of times. And friends of mine in England sent me a video of it or whatever. Oh, Amy Winehouse, she's really great. She's going to be a big hit. Okay. So I watched her sing a version of this live. She had on, uh, like, a white t-shirt and a pair of jeans that were kind of ripped up, and she was barefoot. Her hair was long and flowing. She was a little well compared to how she wound up she looked chubby
1: but she was <laughs> right, just like she wasn't all emaciated from drugs
0: yeah she was like a normal weight like full cherubic beautiful face no makeup and she just walked out there in front of the microphone and sang and played this song and i i like burst into tears it was so amazing and the whole audience was just like <gasps> you know <clears throat> who is this chick and then she turned into <laughs> A train wreck. A train wreck. Yeah. Um, So sad. So she did that song, and then she did an original song, and then she did another cover. She did three songs on that show, and it was just so... It was so great. So great. So she wound up being a fucking mess, but she did have a really, really amazing voice, I think. And she just got up there and sang it, and... You know, you could hear that she was British, but it wasn't, like, the put-on stuff that she was doing later on, where she was trying to sound real cockney sometimes. Yeah. Which is kind of annoying.
1: But, she definitely did vocal affectations later on, and that's why I always... why I was never into her.
0: Yeah. Because um, I do, you know, and then you got the dap tones playing behind you and all that shit. I mean, it was good stuff. Uh, but, yeah. So, I really appreciate... Um, her cover of it, so that's the one we're going to listen to. And uh, yeah, so we're going to check that out and then duke it out.
3: <laughs> Tonight you're mine, completely. You give your
0: Okay, now before we talk about those, uh, those two, I forgot to mention that Andy Gibb, his version, he recorded it with P.P. P. Arnold as a
1: duet. Is that on one of his albums? Andy Gibb's Greatest Hits. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I've never heard it. I didn't have that.
0: Yeah, and Dionne Warwick, she recorded it with the Shirelles for her 1983 Luther Vandross produced album, How Many Times Can We Say Goodbye? So, I forgot well. about that, so yeah, so Amy Winehouse version now, it's nothing like what I described, <laughs> <laughs> yeah obviously, but her voice is fucking amazing, and I don't think that she's too affected
1: there, yeah I, yeah i I there's something there's something about her that I just can't I can't do, can't do it, I just can't do it. there's just, yeah, I don't know. Mm. Mm. I mean, I'm not saying that she isn't a good singer, you know, or whatever. But there's just something about her style and her her vibes. It's just like it ain't working for me. Not working for you. It ain't working. <laughs> yeah. You know, I yeah, I, I get it. Uh, she's too new, like you too. I just can't stand this 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 modern shit. Oh God. You know, I just don't understand oh, it yet. Just punch me right in the face, Paul.
0: Because <laughs> everybody knows that I'm you two a champion for you two.
4: Yeah,
1: the well, no, I'm just stuff. joking. Cause yeah, I uh, know. you know, I'm I'm just joking.
0: Yeah, I know.
4: I'm Jiving too.
0: <laughs> oh man! And the uh, the thing that I I love her voice, but what works my nerves in this version is the arrangement. Ugh. I mean I it's too it's too much. Like it's sparse but it's too much. I think because it's all at the same level of loudness. Roudness. It's all too loud. Well that's Dom 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 It's just like could you play that softer in the back and then let her voice Right. Well that's that's
1: one of the big problems I think with modern tracks and That's that's sort of a cross that a lot of good current singers have to bear. Is that they're being produced in this way to where their sound is just this brick wall yes. of shit. Thank you. And it makes them. I mean, you know, people go for it. Obviously, people love Amy Winehouse, but I just it gets tiresome listening to that shit.
0: Yeah. I can't I can't listen to a whole album of that. Yeah. You know, a song a day or something, but I can't not. I can't listen to the whole thing. It's too much. It's too much. It's just a touch too much. Wow. Wow, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wow.
4: Yeah.
2: (laughs) How many people here like to touch too much? Ow. Oh, Yeah. I want to (laughs) know.
0: Oh, man. It's never not funny. So, for people who don't know what we're laughing at, it's Paul Stanley. And if you listened to this show enough, you would know that. But for those <laughs> if you're who don't, listening to this show in the,
1: in the first place, you should know you that. You should know that,
0: yeah. So, for people who aren't down with what we're doing, don't understand it. So, Paul Stanley, if you've never seen Kiss, if you've never seen a concert, a video, or anything, Paul Stanley is well known far and wide for this shtick that he does. All the time, without fail. And he has specific things that he says every single show, all the time, since 1974, or whatever. And it's always funny. So, years ago, Paul turned me on to...
1: Oh, we're going for the full... We're
0: going for it, yeah. Okay. Uh, Paul turned me on to this dude on the internet on YouTube, who makes these videos of himself as Paul Stanley. And he's just like some sort of chubby, average-looking white guy with the makeup on and a wig and a bathrobe. <laughs> 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 like in his kitchen or whatever?
1: Uh, yeah, I think so, whatever. Some, yeah. some space in his apartment. You in know. his
0: apartment. And he's giving... Uh, what is it? Uh, it's...
1: it's uh, well, it's... <laughs> Ask Starchild, that's and so people yeah. suppose people writing into Paul Stanley for advice. <laughs> yeah, and this guy as Paul Stanley gives advice. Oh my God! So dear Starchild, <laughs> you know, I was thinking about putting shutters on my house. Yeah, that's it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> nothing about music. <laughs> yeah,
0: shutters I, on my I'm house. I'm not really sure if I need shutters. <laughs> you know, <laughs> should I should I use wooden ones or on plastic? You yeah. know, it's just so ridiculous. Yeah. But it's you'll be in tears. It's yeah. so damn just go funny. to YouTube and
1: go to, and type in "Ask Starchild." Star there's Child. So there's only
0: maybe four of them. Yeah. I mean, he
1: should have he kept on going. He
0: could still be writing yeah. that, and he could have his own show. Like it's genius. <laughs> it's so damn funny. But um, for people who want to hear the real deal, Holyfield of that stuff, there are several videos also on YouTube where <laughs> it'll be. <laughs> Just an audio clip, like one of them is five minutes, another one's like an hour long or 90 minutes long or whatever, of all of his banter, just back to back. Yes. From shows. Right. You know, and you'll hear like, wow, all right, all right, all right. (laughs) is everybody okay out there you know just and you know i need a drink vodka and orange juice and then they're lead-ins for songs <laughs> so <laughs> it'll be like the middle of the show and he's like oh it's we're rocking hard it's hot tonight is everybody hot tonight and then you hear the audience yeah hot tonight hot all right i think it's really hot you know like we need we need water on us from a hose, like." Need to go to the firehouse. Wow! Oh, like we
1: didn't know where you we were heading. Going
0: with that, and then the song will start playing. And
1: you it's know, one genius. time when I saw Kiss, I've never heard this on a, on a recording. But one time when I saw Kiss, <laughs> he says, "They almost didn't let me in here tonight. Yeah, they almost turned me away at the door because I brought my pistol with me."
2: And I'm not talking about my 38 special, <laughs> but I.
1: About my, you know, whatever he goes on, listen to my up, shotgun. My sh- I'm, I'm not know. talking about my machine gun. I'm talking about my
2: love gun. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. oh, fuck. It's so funny. Oh, I'm talking about my love, love gun. Oh, it's genius. So, yeah. And when Paul and I speak, we uh, often go into this and just crack each other up. It's good stuff. So, yeah, check that out on YouTube. So, that's uh, that's the end of episode number 23 of Original Versus Cover. Thank you for listening. Oh, and uh, I have more suggestions from listeners, so please keep sending them in. Dan Buxpin, I have an encyclopedia of songs from Dan Buxpin, and of course because he wrote the, you know, the Bible of heavy metal they're all like heavy metal covers of crazy ass songs, so they'll be coming up soon Whoa, yeah! Oh yeah! (laughs) Alright! Oh my gosh So thank you for listening everybody and happy motoring!